Friends, I'd like you to share with me the philosophy of soul winning under this study on faith. There are three texts of Scripture I'd like to have you notice with me. The first is 1 John 5, 4. It says, This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So there is the faith philosophy in winning souls to Christ. The second text of Scripture is found in Romans 14, 23, the last part of the verse. It says, Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And then the third text, and I've studied these texts through the years many, many times. The third text is Numbers 14, 28. As you have spoken in mine ears, so will I do. Now, putting the three texts of Scripture together, we have this. As we speak faith in people, they long to live up to our confidence. As we speak faith in God, he comes to our rescue. On the contrary, if we think that we can help people to do right by shaming them and talking doubt, it's sin. We're sinning against our own souls. We're sinning against them. We're sinning against the Lord. For whatsoever is not a faith is sin. Therefore, we are to speak faith. We're to speak faith in the most hopeless, the most helpless individuals. As we do it, it draws out, it brings out the best impulses and purposes of the soul. If we speak doubt, this energizes the, the negatives of the human heart and soul. So we're to use by the Holy Spirit to talk faith in men and women so they can realize the infinite possibilities that our Creator has invested us with. Then these possibilities become obvious, to some extent at least, to the heart that we're praying for and working with. Two great philosophies in the world today. The one is the way to inspire an individual to do right is to talk faith. The other is, the way to inspire an individual to do right is for me to talk about my doubts concerning his future. Maybe he'll be in the chain gang unless he straightens up. Maybe he'll be in jail unless he changes his ways. He surely is on the road to hell the way he's walking now. You see the difference? Second Corinthians 3.18 says, by beholding, we're changed in the same image. If we can get an individual to behold in the Lord the infinite possibilities that our Creator and Redeemer has invested us with, and that he will give us the power to use these tremendous energies he's implanted in the soul. Then the soul reaches up and takes hold of infinite power, said, Lord, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Let me give you an example. There was a little boy who started in school. Maybe he was now in the second or third grade. He was doing fairly well in his studies until he looked across the schoolroom and he saw a red-headed girl. Her name was May. His heart was enraptured with me. Her hair was so beautiful. Her countenance was so serene. Her smile was so captivating. And he forgot about the books. Oh, yes, he studied them in a superficial way, but his mind was on me. He began to write notes to me. He became thrilled with me. And his studies <laughs> didn't turn out too well. His grades began to slip. But he didn't realize the lesson that God wanted to teach him. The next year, he went to another school. May wasn't there, but Louisa was there. She didn't have red hair, but she had lovely brown hair flowing down to her shoulders. Her eyes were so beautiful. And one smile from Louisa captivated him. Oh, then, every time he studied arithmetic, 
it seemed to him that two times two equaled Louisa, for that was her name. It seemed that every time he studied uh, language or English, sweetheart meant Louisa. Every time he studied his geography, it seemed all he could see and all that was worthwhile thinking of was the map, not of one of the continents, but the map of Louisa. And so he began to write her notes, little barrels of notes. And on the back he put, in those days, they had special, uh, four special letters, S-W-A-K. You know, there are very few people, people living today probably who know anything about that, sealed with a kiss. And his brother also was writing notes to, to his girlfriend, just the, same, just the same as he was. And one day, mother was overheard speaking to daddy. She said, Dad, I don't know what in the world we're going to do with Lester. He's writing notes to the girls. His grades are falling. I don't know what in the world's going to happen. But she said, Glenn, Glenn would never write any notes to the girls. That spoken faith of my mother and me had a tremendous result. It was the last note I ever wrote to not merely Louisa, but any girl all through elementary school and on in through academy. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. I longed to live up to this confidence that my mother expressed in me. And what happened to me as a result of my mother's spoken faith, friends, is happening all over the circle of our world. We long to live up to the confidence that people express in us. And God rewards this confidence because our confidence in others should be based on God's power and willingness to perform that which we are picturing before them that they may become. This is what Jesus did to Zacchaeus. You know, Zacchaeus was that tax collector, hated hated by his own people. They felt that he'd proved traitor to them. He had pocketed a lot of the money that he collected through extortion. But he heard about Jesus. His heart went out to Jesus through the, the power of the Holy Spirit that was drawing him to a better life which Jesus could give. One day, he decided that he must see Jesus. Climbing up in a tree that the Bible calls a sycamore tree, which is the same as our fig tree today, this man of short stature was watching Jesus coming up the way, drawing near to him. I wonder if Jesus will pay any attention to me. From what I've heard, he evidently knows all the sins that I've committed. Would he, would he pay any attention to me? He hates sin so, so, so strongly, so vehemently. Would he pay any attention to me? But, oh, I wish there were hope for me. As Jesus drew near, you see him look up there into that tree. Zacchaeus... Come down, Zacchaeus. I'm going to eat with you today. Zacchaeus' heart, trembling heart, put on a new beat. You mean Jesus is willing to eat with me? Talk about spoken faith. He's willing to honor my home with his presence. There must be hope for me. When Jesus led his disciples into Zacchaeus' home, the Bible says the whole group were murmuring. You mean that Jesus would pay attention to a wretch like this man who is packed full of sin, his soul is defiled. Jesus would pay attention to him. He not merely would pay attention to him, but he would speak words of faith that would inspire this man 
to reach up and take hold of the arm of God, the power that would help him to live up to the salvation that Jesus was offering him as Jesus was there in the home. He answered the many who were murmuring. He said, now is salvation come to this home. He was saying, Zacchaeus, I am receiving you as my child. Every sin that you've ever committed, all the things that you've ever stolen, the depths of despondency and ruin in which your soul has found itself, it's all covered. You are now partaking of my salvation. I'm totally forgiving and cleansing you. I'm giving you my eternal life. That's faith. That's Jesus Christ. And Christ says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. God wants you and me <clears throat> as soul winners to let men and women who are steeped in sin, whom the devil is led to believe that there is no hope for them, the Lord Jesus wants us to let them know that we believe in them and we believe in the mighty power of Jesus Christ to change them. We believe they have infinite possibilities. We stir up the Holy Spirit through us, stirs up the better impulses of the soul. Hope is awakened. And they say, if you have faith in me, I have faith. Just a little while ago, I met with some of our teammates. They were brand new at this special, uh, in this special area of witnessing. And they told how young people, they were meeting other young people. And they were saying, I believe God's giving you victory. Some of them were really steeped in, in some vices. And later, some of these young people came back to our teammates and said, do you know what? When you told me that you believed that I was going to be a victor, I said, if they believe it, I believe I can be. And they said, and I reached right up and I took hold of, a, of the arm of God, and God has delivered me. Friends, this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith, our faith in what God will do for people, our faith in people's sincerity to accept his power when once they recognize there's hope. Friends, what an opportunity we have, and this is joy. Let me give you another experience. We were holding a series of tabernacle meetings. There was a lady there who had accepted Jesus as a personal savior and was planning to be baptized and to unite with God's family on earth. And then some disappointments entered her life. One evening, my associate minister and I were standing in just in front of the tabernacle, and this lady came up. And her countenance was very sad. Discouragement was seen all over her face. And she said, you know, I just don't believe that I can go through with the decision that I made. I just don't believe it. She'd first expressed this to someone else. And my associate minister rushed to me and he said, this lady is greatly discouraged. People are telling me that she's giving up. I said, let's rush to her side. So as my associate and I rushed to her side, the Holy Spirit was using him as an instrument and using me as an instrument, just as though we could hear the audible voice of the Holy Spirit. And we started something like this. Lady, you are sincere. You want to do right. And she almost blurted out, well, yes, I want to do right. And we were smiling. And you know, you really love the Lord. And she stopped a second. Well, yes, I love the Lord. And then the other one said, and you know what you've been hearing of the gospel of Christ during this series of meetings? You really love it. And in about a second, the answer came back. Well, <laughs> yes, I really do. 
And the other one said, the other minister said, and you know what? You love every truth that you've heard at this tabernacle. She said, well, come to think of it, I do. And then the other one said, and sister, you, by the grace of God, are going right through with the decision you made. She said, I'm going to do it. Spoken faith is highly rewarded by the Lord. As you have spoken in mine ears, I will do. We sow a seed of faith and God rewards it. Oh, my friends, may God help you and me to be done with this negative approach to the mighty power of God and to the sincerity of the human heart. Let's stop telling people you're stubborn. You don't want to do right. You have no desire to do right. My friends, it's not true. The human heart is crushed. It's frustrated. It's confused. It needs to have some child of God come into the experience and say, you're sincere. I know you are. And the soul is liable to say, but, but I don't think I am sincere. I knew I was doing wrong when I did wrong. And we can say, yes, you knew it. But you didn't do it because you wanted to be cussing. You did it through the weakness of the flesh. And now Jesus says, it is God that works in you, both the will and to do of his good pleasure. You can claim his promise. You can ask. Jesus said, ask, Matthew 7, 7. You can believe. Jesus said to believe his word and claim his promise. Mark 11:24, and then you can reach up and say, thank you, Lord, the gift of God is in your promise, and I receive. Matthew 21, 22, John 11, 41. We sow this seed, this seed of faith. It produces a marvelous harvest of victory, for this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. You know, there are times when you and I get worn down with certain individuals. The devil comes along to us and he talks doubt. The devil says, you know, you've tried to help that person again and again. And that person doesn't care one whit about anything you've been doing to try to help him. You tried to help him back there and look at how he blew it. Then you tried again and he blew it again. And the devil said, look, you might just as well give up. There's no hope. There was a teacher in an elementary school. She had such a boy, an incorrigible boy. He was the ringleader of a little gang in that school that had been causing her a lot of trouble for many months. As she was walking to her lunch at the noon hour, her heart was heavy, extremely heavy. This accuser of the brethren, the, the devil, was following her steps. He was whispering in her ear words of doubt. There's nothing that you can ever do for these kids. They don't appreciate anything that you're doing. You might just as well give up the teaching profession and go in some other profession, for there's not one of these that seem to have any appreciation. They're ganging up on you, you see. And while she was listening to the evil one, without her realizing it, the ringleader, a little fellow, but a ringleader, maybe only 12 or 13, was walking beside her, and she heard his voice. Was he, was he something? He said, teacher, if you was me, what would you do when you grew up? <laughs> the teacher almost went into shock. She never thought that boy, of all the boys in her school, ever even had a thought of ever growing up. But the Lord helped her conceal 
the shock. And she modulated her voice and looked down with a little smile, and she said, well, son, oh, what did you think maybe you'd like to be when you grew up? He said, teacher. Do you think that maybe I could be a, a doctor? Friends of all things. If the teacher didn't now have to really conceal her shock. And the Lord helped her too. And she looked down at the lad with another smile and she said, I think that would be a good idea for you to plan to be a doctor. Why don't you do it? All right, teacher, he said. If you think I can be a doctor, I will try to be a doctor. Wonderful, she said. I'll help you. The boy's grades came up from D grades and from failures up to C's and B's and A's, and he was graduated with honors. He went on into high school and was graduated with honors. When he was graduated from pre-medic, his teacher was sitting on the front seat at the commencement exercises. At the close of the, of the exercises, he walked down to her and he said, Teacher, <laughs> I would have never been here today had it not been for your spoken faith in me when I was that urchin back in elementary school. The teacher was married about this time. There was born to her a beautiful child, little baby boy, I guess it was. At the age of six, this little baby boy came down with a, some kind of a disease. And the doctors told the mother that it was a hopeless case. There was nothing that medical science could do for their boy. Mother only looked forward to the death of her dear boy with what misgivings, with what heartbreak. About this time, into the neighborhood came a young doctor. He looked up this teacher, heard about her boy who was so ill, and he said to the teacher, I believe I can help him. That young doctor applied every medical skill known to medical science with which he was familiar and applied it to this boy with faith and confidence that God would use his ministry to save this boy's life. It wasn't the mere, merely the medicines that he used, but it was the confidence that he breathed into the mother and the boy's heart. Son, you're going to get well. You're going to be improving. He stayed by that boy until he could say to the boy, you can get out of bed now. The boy walked around, ever improving, finally took the boy's hand, put it in mother's hand. He said, Mommy, your boy is now, as he can testify, perfectly well. Oh, what a harvest. What a harvest the mother reaped. From that, those few words of expressed faith and confidence in that little urchin, my friends, this is just a symbol of what can happen to you and me, professed soul winners for Jesus Christ, as we do what the Bible says. Speak words of faith. He said, those words are seeds of faith. They'll produce a tremendous harvest for good if you'll only do it. Friends, what is true of the positives of faith is also true of the negatives of doubt. I remember a very sad experience I had many years ago. I was holding a series at a college 
And during that week, a beautiful young woman came to see me, seeking counsel. She said, Pastor Kuhn, I have one of the most terrible husbands you could ever expect to meet. He's an awful man. He isn't treating me right. In fact, she said, really, I don't love him at all. I hate him. I'd like to see him, I said. So we arranged to meet him, and the two were there. And friends, he was one of the most gracious men I've ever met. He wasn't just handsome. He was kind, and he was courteous. But this woman had gone into a negative rut of thinking so she could see nothing good in this beautiful character. She said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave him, and I'm going to divorce him, and I'm through with him. I never want to see him again. She went. And as I was praying for wisdom, I decided I would talk faith. I said, lady, you have one of the most wonderful husbands that ever walked the face of the earth. In fact, he is the most wonderful husband in all the world for you. No, no, she said, he is not. I want nothing to do with him. And every once in a while, I could get a word in edgewise, you know. And then I would speak some more faith. And I said, you know, why don't you do what you suggest? You're saying that you're going down to the city and get your own apartment? Why don't you do that? But I said, I'm going to make a prediction. I predict that you won't be in that apartment more than two or three weeks before you will realize what a wonderful husband you really have, and you'll be so lonesome, and you'll have such a deep appreciation of what you've lost. I predict that in two or three weeks, you'll be coming back to this wonderful man, and you'll fall on your knees, and you'll say to him, will you forgive me? I love you deeply and dearly. Will you take me back? Now, friends, up to that point, I was asking God for wisdom. And God had given me wisdom, and he'd given me the power of the Holy Spirit to speak faith and confidence. And then I blew it. I got a little self-confident. I said, but when you come back, you know what this man is liable to say to you? He's liable to say, I want nothing to do with you now. Nothing whatsoever. Oh, no, she said, never. No, no. I said, you watch. My friends, she went down to the apartment, the city. She got herself an apartment. Inside of a month, she was back on her knees, physically on her knees. The tears were trickling down her cheeks, and she was saying to her husband, will you forgive me and take me back? Everything was wonderful so far. Had I not dropped the few words of doubt. He said, no, no, ma'am, I'm through with you. Friends, I'm sharing my mistakes. You've made mistakes. God will forgive you. Oh, I want to tell you how many times I said, Lord, I'm so sorry. I was doing very well. I was talking faith. But the moment I talked that doubt and pictured before her the negative and before him, they both lived up to the entire prediction, the prediction of faith the prediction of doubt, the prediction of success, the prediction of failure. God says, this is the victory. It will overcome the world. Men will take hold of your spoken faith, and God will reward it, and they'll find deliverance. Speak faith in people. Tell men and women of the mighty power of Jesus Christ, and he'll save to the uttermost. Dear Lord in heaven, there are men and women in this media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, 
or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.